Hi there, Ollie Anderson here. You're listening to Creative Status. This is a podcast about growing more real, i.e. unblocking yourself from all of the self-hypnosis and social programming and conditioning that you may have been through in life. This caused you to become fragmented and divided within yourself. That sounds like quite a lot, but we're chipping away at it day by day, piece by piece. So it's not quite as painful as it sounds. The whole idea of the podcast is that the creative process is a vehicle for allowing you to do that because as you follow your creativity wherever it wants to take you, you're going to become more human in the sense of being more whole, more connected to life, more connected to the way of things. That is the theme of today's podcast interview, talking to Sean B.W. Parker, who is a writer, an artist, and a musician. He writes a lot about cultural politics So this is the most political episode of Creative Status so far, which uh, was kind of interesting for me because normally I don't talk that much about politics, even though a lot of the crazy, unreal bullshit going on in the world that stops us from being real is political. So it was quite interesting for me to explore all the stuff that I usually talk about on the podcast through that lens. Uh, Ultimately, if I was going to sum this conversation up, we're talking about how art ultimately is about making us more human or it should be in the ideal sense it allows us to confront the truth about ourselves about other people about the world but as the world goes crazier and crazier about identity and attaching to ideas of ourselves or about ourselves instead of the experience of in ourselves we found ourselves in this culture where people are actually kind of scared of the truth And it causes them to hold back and to hide behind their creations instead of to use those creations to uncover and unmask themselves. Uh, So that's the abridged version. Really interesting conversation. Sean, I'm really uh, grateful that you reached out and that we uh, had this conversation because it's made me think about things uh, more deeply than maybe I would have done. So, Sean, thank you to you. Everybody else, hope you enjoy this episode. It's probably going to piss some people off. Uh, but just remember, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off and make you miserable. Love to say that. Anyway, here we go. Thanks a bunch. Boom. Well, hi there, Sean. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Creative Status. This is going to be one of those episodes I feel that could go all over the place, but we're going to try and bring it down to earth, I suppose, by talking about humanism in the arts. Uh, before we get into that, do you feel like introducing yourself? letting people know what you're all about, and also sharing, if you feel like it, what you want to get out of this conversation that we're about to embark upon. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, Samuel Ali. It's great stuff. Um, I'm uh, Sean B.W. Parker. Um, I'm a writer, artist, and musician, and um, I, I write quite extensively in cultural politics, uh, which is what sort of uh, brings me here, here to speak to you today. Um, and I'm very interested in the subject of anti-humanism, humanism, what's being done by cancel culture to the arts in general right now. Wow. Okay, that's awesome. So let's get right into it. I was thinking about this before we started recording, and I think ultimately the greatest art, the realist art, or creativity in general, is something that allows us to be more human. It allows us to express our humanity and all of the, the good and th- bad things about that to the greatest extent possible so we can unders- understand ourselves, understand each other, and ultimately accept life to a deeper degree 
and enjoy this crazy human condition a bit more. So for me, humanistic art or art that supports humanism is about that. It's about helping us to be more human. But there is a kind of thread within our culture, which you just alluded to around uh, cancel culture and all this kind of stuff, that is anti-human in the sense that it blocks that expression. So that's how I'm seeing this as we segue into the actual conversation. How is your philosophy aligned with the way that I've just kind of tried to sum it up before we dive into it? Yeah, I well, I completely agree with that. Um, <laughs> essentially, it's it's um, and there are certain reasons behind that, and because because of it, which are to do with sort of, sort of political political strategy and political science. And of course, if you point this out these days, you get called a conspiracy theorist or far right or whatever is the de rigueur flight of the day, and um, that's the problem because artists used to be the people to point out these things, but now they're just chucked into um, the parallel universe of um, of whatever's going on, which isn't necessarily a bad place to be. It's just new territory to be discussed. Yeah. So I suppose if we break it down to the simplest components, ultimately, this definition that I've given of, of art has been something that can help us move towards a closer relationship with ourselves and each other and life, ultimately means that art or creativity, ultimately, is a vehicle for uncovering the truth in our relationship with ourselves and allowing that truth to help us have a deeper connection to other people. Because only if you've got the truth can you build something that's real. That's just a, a logical thing in, in my understanding of things. Like if you don't have the truth, then whatever you're building with your life is just floating on some castle in the sky and it's destined to crumble. So it seems like there's kind of a contradiction between that fundamental uh, aspect of creating some kind of creative thing versus the way that the world is relating to truth. And maybe a simple example is comedy. I think that the reason comedy is so important is because comedians ultimately tell the truth or they make jokes that allow us to understand the truth to a, a greater degree. But because people are so sensitive these days, it seems, a lot of comedians are finding themselves in situations where, you know, they can't just joke about whatever they want to joke about and they have to, you know, pander to the crowd more than they may have used used to do. And even though it seems like in the short term, maybe that's it's nice, like we should be sensitive and all these kind of things. I personally believe if we take the truth out of the equation or we censor our relationship with the truth, then it's actually holding everybody back. And even though I've just used comedy as an example, it seems like the culture is becoming truth averse like we all want to hide from the truth it seems collectively at least and the art and the creative works that have been produced are kind of reflecting that so i'm throwing a lot at you but if you do agree with that how do you think we ended up in this situation and more importantly i guess what can we do about it? yeah um well ab absolutely especially when it comes to comedy um if uh music is is the highest art to which all others um, aspire, as has been said before, which I, I'm up for, because everybody everybody understands how much that will hit you <laughs> faster than anything else. Um, comedy is meant to be the most honest art form, um, coming from other human beings, truths put in a way which is accessible to as many people as possible, you know, mm. and that is what they're meant to do. If you get on a stage in Britain, that's the one place, historically, you've been able to say, anything like a speaker's corner 
um, anything that's in your mind in a way that you can't necessarily elsewhere. The freedom of speech isn't as absolute as people think, you know, but a comedy stage is. And that's been taken away because of postmodernism, sadly, and because postmodernism said with subjectivity, your truth is the truth, as is mine, yeah. and we have to get those two, not even to agree, but to exist in their own space, yeah. which is absolutely fine as long as it's eight billion agreements, yeah. um, which isn't politically uh, doable. And we're realizing it now. We're struggling with it, um, and the comedy humor is a um, is a. a it's what's the term? It's an injury of of the left. Unfortunately, I don't want to put it to left right too, uh, too much, but it tends to be on the left. People say that humour is like a defence against the truth or something. That if you laugh at something, it's because you're hiding something, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is massively um, offensive. Really, <laughs> I'm not taking offence, but you know what I mean. It's offensive to the nature of humour itself, and possibly being English because we're incredibly cover everything with humour in order to get by. Yeah. And that's just been tossed out with everything else, isn't it? Yeah. I love what you just said about postmodernism. This is something that I've run into quite a lot with like the work that I do. So ultimately I ramble and I rave and I I say a lot of words, but ultimately I'm always talking about the same thing. And what I'm talking about is if we want to be happy in life to the greatest extent possible, I don't believe true lasting happiness is is possible because something is always gonna happen. But anyway if you want to feel good, if you want to be content, if you want to move towards our potential and feel like a real human being who is moving towards wholeness, then we need to embrace reality, ultimately, or the truth. Mm. We need a foundation of some truth that is going to uh, allow us to build on solid ground, ultimately. And to do that, it's often going to ask us to step away from our ego, away from our way of identifying and all of the fragmented ideas that we have picked up in our relationship with ourselves to try and stay in the same. The truth is that life keeps changing. And in relation to what you said about postmodernism, I have found quite a few people over the years have disagreed with me when I've ultimately said that the truth just is what it is. There's an absolute truth. And the postmodernists, they always argue exactly like you kind of posited earlier that I can have my inter my reality or my truth, you can have your truth, that they're all equally valid, that they're all equally worthy of respect, and that we basically are allowed to just attach to some interpretation of life that feels right to us, which kind of, of course, is within our rights, but we, we're allowed to attach to that and nobody else can disagree with it because if they do, they're going against our you know, our whole worldview and understanding and blah, 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 and it's deeply offensive. I think that view is actually holding people back. And when people say that I have my truth and you have your truth, what they're really saying is I have my interpretation because of my own emotional bullshit. You have your own interpretation because of your emotional bullshit. And we're both clinging to them so we can try and stay the same, ultimately. Hmm. The truth, I believe, is that there's three sides to every story. There's my side, there's your side, and then there's the truth itself. And only if we understand that can we transcend or let go of our attachment to our interpretations so that we can keep evolving and we can keep flowing and we can keep moving with life into a deeper appreciation and deeper relationship with life. If we get caught up in this postmodern view, sorry, I'm running loads, but if we get caught up in this postmodern view of just clinging to the interpretations like our whole lives depend on them, 
then we're stopping ourselves from actually living a real life. And to me, the truth is always going to be a threat to our interpretations because the truth itself doesn't need defending. It just is what it is. Nobody has ever argued about the truth. I say this all the time. People can only argue about those interpretations. And if you're arguing about it, you basically cling to it for some underlying emotional reason. And that is ultimately the problem. I think it's why comedians are having this problem we're talking about. Why art has become super ideological. It's because people are trying to defend their little interpretations of life as though it's the truth itself. And so there's that inner conflict between clinging to something that's not actually real and constantly trying to deny the truth, which never goes anywhere, by masking it behind identity and all that kind of stuff. So I've just thrown loads of stuff at you. That was my big rant for the day. I think I've had too much coffee. But how does that fit into, I guess, the way that you've experienced things and the way you've seen life? And again, what what can we start doing about it, in your view, to help people realize that actually stepping away from these interpretations and not clinging to little snippets of sense and meaning that we've just pulled out of our asses, basically, not clinging to that stuff is actually the way to bring us all together, but more importantly, bring us closer to ourselves so that we can actually do that. Well, I think you've just um, kind of hit on a brilliant solution to people's angst about <laughs> the postmodern issues that they're going through in culture wow. because it's sort of killing people, uh, you know, spiritually. Yeah. And they're going, but they don't know that because they're so basted within it. You've just pointed out post-politics and post-postmodernism uh, we, we obviously need a better term from that, you know, but you're talking about the truth and we do know what you mean because you'll have some twat who turns around and says, yes, but my truth is more important than yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'll go, no, but he's talking about the, he's talking about, not talking about from him. And once people get the the good meaning behind what you're doing, and, and, and I mean that in the terms of it has a, a purity inside it, you're not trying to hurt anybody. No, no, no. Once people get that and they get that you're talking past politics, which is about accidentally hurting others in favor of your own um, principle you, you've gone beyond that which is the most positive beautiful thing you can do and that's the language of russell brands and the joe rogans and the people that are apparently controversial right now but they're not because <laughs> they're talking what you basically did in their own styles aren't they um but they haven't even gone to this third third truth this is a pretty well no, it's, it's beyond that too so um yeah i'm You've, you've hit the nail on the head. It would be good if we get other people to hear that a bit more. Yeah. So ultimately then, let's let's break it down into the divide between the left and the right, just in a kind of objective way, and how people tend to attach to certain points of view as a way of resisting the, the truth itself. I really, really, truly believe, and I've seen it so many times now in my own life and with my coaching clients, the only thing we need to do, regardless of our political persuasion, is to uncover the truth and then live the truth. But for whatever reason, as we go through life and we pick up emotional stuff and we get programmed by society to stop believing in ourselves and all this kind of thing, we become truth resistant. And changing our lives as human beings, no matter what we believe actually, is about stepping beyond the beliefs that we've picked up and attached to as an extension of our ego slash identity so that we can start flowing with life in this kind of spiritual way you alluded to instead of just forcing life through what we think we need to know to feel that false security of identity and ego. So 
this is me kind of riffing, but we need to flesh this out a bit, I think. When I look at the left-right divide, the left and the right are both attached to different interpretations of the truth, but they're coming into the same truth from a different attachment, if, this, if that makes sense. So what I mean is, in general, the human experience, I think, when we're talking about moving towards the truth, is about transcending an unhealthy relationship with our biological wiring, so nature, basically, and with our social programming, so nurture. So ultimately, to live a real life and to get into this flow of the truth, or whatever you want to call it, we have to walk the bridge between nature and nurture. In general, when it comes to left versus right, it seems to me the people on the, the left are super, super attached to the nurture idea. They believe that if you can just create the right ideological system, then you can basically shape human beings into being literally anything. A magical unicorn, uh, I don't know, what, a fairy, literally anything. Because I, ideologically, they believe, or conceptually, that the nurture, which is always a conceptual thing, not an experiential thing, is always the truth. I personally think that's bullshit. I think no concept is fully real. And the more attached you become to the concepts, the worse your life is going to be. But that's how the left seems to me. The right, on the other hand, they've gone super deep into the nature thing. I believe that nature does come before nurture because nature sets the tone of our lives and the cards we've been dealt and what's possible physically and biologically and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, we can transcend an unhealthy relationship with our obsolete biological wiring we don't have to be purely driven by instinct and natural impulses and all that kind of stuff because we can use our ability to think and use concepts to refine our relationship with that and to make sure that we're not just living in the short term, but we're living in the long term, which means we grow into what's wholeness and truth and all that kind of stuff. And so for me, like if I look at the political pantomime that is unfolding in the world, you get people that are attached to, to one or the other in an a very extreme case as it as is now unfolding in, in the culture as a whole. What I think we need to do is to see that both of those have value, but only if you're using them in a real way. And a real way for me means that you're taking the information from either nature or nurture to move towards a deeper relationship to truth, the absolute truth that I'm talking about, which is really just the experience of flowing with life, realizing that we can't control everything, navigating uncertainty and chaos so that we can find that stronger foundation by letting all of our bullshit ideas fall by the wayside. So again, I'm running at you. Sorry, it seems like I'm just running my way through all this podcast. But what do you think about that? Like, is that true? And if so, how do we learn from it? Because I really think, I'm not a centrist, but I think left, left is bullshit, right is bullshit, and we need something more real. And that involves facing ourselves and becoming very aware of this natural creative flow that is in all of us towards the truth. Yeah, well, um, I think you're sort of talking towards what um, everybody is looking, kind of looking for, and it's not a rant at all. It's it's a it's a very good explanation about um, what people actually want without probably being able to verbalise it. Um, it's post left right. Um, if we go to like 150 years ago, 200 with Marx on the left, for example, just for easy examples for people not to to to, to dissect too much. And uh, Nietzsche on the right, Friedrich Nietzsche, um, the the individual with Nietzsche versus the the, the, 
there's a society of Marx, and these two opposing things, industrial revolution and commercial revolution and tech revolution, for good reason, to get the rights of people up to where they have been. And with the Marxist thing, that has been a success in militaries. Um, and, the, and the point is that's done in the sense that loads of people are out of poverty, not everybody, but loads. And it's not a thing you can drive forever. So they decided to spanner it all into identity um, to try to give that the same currency as economy. And it doesn't. It's just very, very dangerous. It's not People didn't expect it to be as dangerous as it has been. But it's turned out to be very harmful in the way that you would see as the, the psychology of, of um, the impact that has on people when they put in their ex-bio, I'm a trans lesbian of colour from from uh, Mozambique and I went through child slavery. So is that how you want me to treat you? Or should I treat you as the much more complex human yeah. being that you actually are? Yeah. Um, and so um, what you're doing is uh, trying to go to this universal truth that I think that will be a very controversial to the, the militants out there. Uh, but it's not controversial to me because um, I'm, a, I'm a humanist in the pure term and you're absolutely right. A cow isn't going to understand your version of, of universal truth, but a person speaking Chinese is, I think. I really genuinely think. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what I don't know what Mr. Chomsky, Noam Chomsky, who's also a Marxist, would think about that with his theory of universal grammar, but I think he might be inclined to somewhat agree with you. Yeah. So how do we start to move in this direction? Because I... I really think now that what we're now talking about is just true. Like, it, I, I work in my coaching practice to help people basically come around this way of thinking. And as soon as they do, they've got this more solid foundation that I keep referring to. And they can get better results in relation to whatever path they, they put themselves on in terms of a vision for their life and all that kind of thing. But in order to transcend that, left-right dichotomy that is unreal, we we need to reconfigure quite a lot of things in relation to the way we relate to ourselves. And again, you can bring it back to the, the standard way that the left and the right tend to think. So in general, I think those on the left, when they're getting super extreme about it and being militant, they basically think that the government or society at large, some external body, is responsible for their happiness. On the other side, the people on the right, they kind of take on board an extreme responsibility in many cases. They're super independent, they're outside the system, they're responsible for their happiness. That is very true. Like Ultimately, we can't be happy without taking responsibility for our lives. But in both cases, I think it can become too extreme. And so if you're really far on the left and you think that everybody else is to blame for your problems, you've basically got a personality disorder, I think, because you're just projecting everything outside and you're not taking, you don't have any internal lo locus of control where you're guiding your life in alignment with your values and your intentions. The other side of the coin though, is if you go too, too, too far into taking responsibility for your life, then you become a control freak and you're not disordered necessarily, but you've become neurotic. You think you can control everything. So the extreme consequence of both of these views is that you're detached from reality. And there's again, there's a middle ground which leads to the truth I have found. 
and it's where you need both. And so the way that I often describe this is you have to sacrifice yourself to create yourself. And so all that means, or a more simple way of saying it, maybe, you've got to make your values valuable to others. And so ultimately, we're living in a way where we're sacrificing ourselves in the sense of finding a way to serve the world that's aligned with our true values. So for example, with this podcast, right? Like I value creativity. That's why I got this podcast. This allows me to create um, goals for myself and a sense of purpose where I am making my value, value of creativity more valuable to other people. So I'm sacrificing myself. That sounds dramatic, but all I mean is I'm using my time, I'm growing and so on and so forth. I'm pushing beyond my identity and my ego to just put myself on this path of kind of sharing this kind of stuff. I know that sounds really kind of uh, grandiloquent, but at the same time, I'm creating myself by doing that. And so I'm not just blaming everybody else for my problems. I'm still taking responsibility for my problems, but I'm not seeing myself as an independent entity in the world or a super dependent entity in the world. It becomes more about interdependence. And so for me, interdependence is the way into the truth because the bottom line is the truth is about wholeness and that, me that means we're all connected to each other. And so whether you're on the left or the right, if you see yourself as some ego construct that exists as just a separate thing, the ego is the illusion of separation, I think, then you can never get to the truth. And so ultimately, there's this middle ground, if you want to call it that, where you're merging the strengths and weaknesses of the human being, the darknesses and the light, to become more real. Because ultimately, like, you mentioned Nietzsche in a way, like, it's what Nietzsche said, right? It's about being beyond good and evil, beyond good and bad, beyond judgment. It's just real. And ultimately, if you're attached to any of these uh, political polarities that we're talking about, you, you've attached to a judgment. And as soon as you do that, you become unreal. So it's about transcending that by creating a purpose and a path for yourself in order to get there. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that was an excellent um, sentence there. Um, you, you, if you attach yourself to a judgment, you become unreal. That could be, the, that could be our subtitle. It's fantastic. They're absolutely right. Um, it's, the, the problem is that society being the market that it actually is. You know, we, we think it's about us as humans and we know we're mistaken. What we're doing right now is the art of thought. But society operates on the basis of market. And that is a state of adolescence because they've realised that the rock and roll um, spirit of the 50s is one of the most profitable things that have ever happened because you're getting people in a state of angst and energy and, and liveliness, which are all great fun and exciting. And it's good to go through them. So, which is why I'm... Uh, pro um, people being able to take drugs if they want and I'm um, anti-censorship you know people should go through all that and once you have <laughs> it's probably not a good place to stay for your entire life because you'll die early or you'll get get fucked up which is worse you know yeah so it's it's like um you you your thinking is got has gone to a place of maturity but you know there's nothing wrong with that and that's not um, the problem that the left attaches to the idea of maturity because the left thinks that maturity is tired, conservative, stale. There's nothing of those thoughts at all. It just means calm, balance, and a place beyond the extremes. Mm -hmm. um, what you could do about it, I mean, what I would do if I were to properly write a book, do a podcast, and keep talking to decent people, I think you might be doing that. So the so just keep, is like keep doing it. Just 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 as I do in, in the painting and the music and whatnot. 
and it's um as you know when when it comes to the ego um there's nothing wrong with having an ego the size of Mr. Russell, Mr. Russell Brand, or the, the, um, the Donald Trump, you know, two massive egos of the world. They're doing what they do. The problem is with Trump is that he's still attaching the politics to it because that's what he does. That's his his nurture. Brand seems to be post addiction, going to his own truth and all that, and angry about the system. I'm not angry about the system. I don't know about you. I, I've been used to it since I was 17. I know what they're doing. It's just really cool that people are now able to discuss it. Um, maybe it's because I'm in my forties that um, I'm not uh, the firebrand about it. But I don't think I ever have been. I'm aware of hypocrisy. I know what they do. It's just um, under trying to help other people understand that art, at its truest form, and people's love, if you want, like the conversation we're speaking now, is the, the love of thought and truth. There's no, there's very little irony in what what we're doing here. Because that's what happens when you talk about reality, and um, people have a, a deep thirst for that. And that's the population of uh, the popularity of uh, Mr. Lex Friedman, for example, and Steven Pinker. These kind of, you know, I, I keep chucking names at you, but it's only for our listeners to have something to hang it on, you know. Yeah. But these people do actually go towards what we're talking about, and it's, it's there's it's a huge desire for it, and we're on the right lines, and you just sort of keep to it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like. When I think about the, the system, I I don't get angry. Like, I agree with what you said. I think the system is just other people. And I know there's an element where, you know, with a kind of hierarchy that the system's built around, there are going to be people at the top, and then people become more corrupt at the top because there's nepotism and all that kind of stuff. But in general, society is just other people. And you can't be angry at this huge vortex we've created of our own unconscious volition. I think all you can do is just see that, like with with our individual lives, the situation that we find ourselves in often is just, more often than not, is just a consequence of all the choices we've made previously. And so the system that we have now is ultimately just a consequence of all the choices that we have made collectively throughout human history and I don't get angry about that because I think it gives us power I don't think we need to go out there and like start burning down the houses of parliament or have a massive revolution or anything like that we just need to look at ourselves and to, to ask ourselves where we've been real and where we're not and what I found is even though I think the world is kind of fucked up and like the system is broken in many ways and it's very we can still have a good life by being real in the way that I'm talking about, which just means uncovering the truth and then living the truth. And paradoxically, maybe, the more of us that do that individually in our own lives, the more leverage we have over the system collectively, if that makes sense. Because ultimately, when we figure out this stuff on it, I'm making it too complicated. If you look at the world, it is the Gandhi thing, right? Like, become the change you want to see in the world, blah, blah, blah. Most people when you say, right, what do we need to change about the world? They're going to start talking about other people. They'll say, right, well, Donald Trump needs to not be president again, and they need to sort this out, and they need to sort that out, and I'm sick of all the the leftists, I'm sick of all the people on the right, blah, 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 blah. No one ever says, well, actually, I need to take a deep breath, I need to chill the fuck out, and I need to, like, stop attaching to my views that I think are the truth, and to just let go 
and see what I can learn. I need to shift from a, a position of certainty to one of uncertainty. Like that is true wisdom, right? All I know is that I know nothing. And if I can align myself with that, then probably I'm going to learn something that is going to make me happier. And then if we go through this process individually, then the world has to become more real. And so I'm, I'm making it complicated, but my view is if we work on this stuff in our own lives, walking that middle ground, transcending good and bad and judgments and the unreality that comes with it, that is our contribution to making the system better in the long term. And, you know, obviously if, if the system gets really bad, like really, really bad, like where we've got like a, a tyrant or something like that, or, you know, like a fascist regime or whatever that's just making us all live in fear, then maybe there's a breaking point where we need to resort to violence. <laughs> but ultimately, it's not that bad yet. And I don't think it will be. And I think as long as people wake up from this slumber of just being so attached to their opinions and just thinking that the bullshit they believe is the truth and wanting everyone else to believe the same bullshit, then the world can change and it'll probably change quicker than people think. But maybe that's naive, I don't know. But that's I think that's the most logical thing to focus on because that's the only thing we have control over, our relationship with ourselves. Well, absolutely. Um I can remember at the end of the last sort of century when I was at university and everyone's talking about this huge strange thing called the interweb and like um like that what's going to happen it's going to be the information century and China is going to rule the world and well okay um that information century it is and here we are in the middle of it um discovering the new currency and warfare of info which is what's going on on X and everything else yeah. um it's better than bloodshed I'm going to say that I'm going to say that quite proudly I'm, I prefer to be doing this and having the angst that we're having than um, being in Gaza, for example, right now, yeah. you know. But I was just watching the, watching the COVID inquiry um, on, on YouTube earlier on with Boris Johnson um, trying to apologise for two years ago without telling the truth. And I had this chat in mind and it's like, um, the, part of me is going, the poor guy, because he's just a right brain poet just uh, floundering in a political position there in <laughs> Boris, you know. <laughs> but everyone's going, you... <laughs> you you bad person you put took us into that place and you know the the, the country did or whatever was responsible y your listeners are going to decide for themselves about covid i'm not going to say anything you know it's like everybody's got their ideas about the origins but you're uh, the fact that we're surrounded by lies and it's and those lies are communicated to us for reasons that we're not aware of and we can only um presume because we know about the real politic which we've done about since Machiavelli and the ancient Greeks, what people will do to get things done. And whether that's for us to be a race, a slave of a race slave of humans uh, with our alien overlords, I'm, I'm going with, I, you know, you could never say no about anything, but I can't see the point in speculating on that right now. But I can see Boris Johnson squirming at the thing because he thought he was entitled to be prime minister because of his own, as you might say, ego, yeah. and because of his own, the family nurture of a mm. bunch of competitive Tories mm. um, in his family, encouraging him to be that. Did yeah. a couple of years, couldn't get anything done because kept being stopped. And there he is, squirmy. But I, I've also heard him recite the first chapter of the Iliad without a book in front of him in Greek. And it's the most astonishing thing I've ever seen. Mm. So, you know, people have, have their goods and their bads and their skills. And that's where he was happy and good. But for some reason, because of Eton, he thought, I need to be Prime Minister of England for a couple of years, top of his CV. Well, no, just go and go on stage and repeat the Iliad for the rest of your life. You're much better at that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. 
that's another art I've got coming out at, at, the, at the end of, of what we're on about here. No, but actually it's super relevant because the the consequence of people being super attached to their political views on either side, or any views actually about anything, the, the consequence of being super attached to that stuff is that eventually the attachment starts to weigh you down and it becomes something that you identify with. You get the ego situation that we keep talking about. But the, if you've got the ego hanging over you and holding you back, then there's always going to be some truth about you hidden within the shadow self. So for Boris, as a textbook case, based on what you said, his ego was, for whatever reason, that he needed to be this great prime minister and he was going to go down in history and be remembered, blah, blah, blah. Massive anticlimax for him following that path. But actually, there is a, an undercurrent of creativity and poetry and beauty and all these kind of things even in Boris. And probably, like, if he wanted to follow that thread through and see where it led him, it would lead him to a greater expression of those sides of himself that he's been denying because he's been hidden in the shadow behind his ego. And he would probably get better results because he'd be following something that is organically unfolding within him. And he would be happier as well because he's not forcing everything through this ego egotistical idea that he's picked up somewhere along the line and identified with and every single person out there who is hiding behind some political view to justify the, the current version of their ego and the emotional bullshit that they're trying to hide from, every single one of them has something real like that hiding in the shadows. That's the travesty, really, of this um, attachment that we have to points of view and information. Information, the reason we love it so much is because it gives us a sense of control. We feel like, okay, if we have concepts and theories and ideas, we can understand life. But actually, life itself is chaotic, is constantly moving, is constantly evolving. And we can try and hide from that evolution behind information and points of view. And it will give us some short-term comfort. But in the long term, it's exacerbating the angst that you're talking about. Because angst is just a gap or an existential void between what's inside us waiting to come up from the shadows and what we're actually expressing. And so, again, it comes back to this relationship with ourselves. That is the true solution, I think, to, I don't want to say world peace, I don't think that's possible, but to a more harmonious world where people are making sure that the gap between in, inside, inner and outer is minimized. And you can only do that by facing the truth because for most of us, if we caught up in that ego stuff that we're talking about, for most of us, in the shadow self is the truth. The rela Our relationship with the truth is buried down there and it's always trying to surface. And so what we need to do is stop blocking it. And that applies individually and collectively. There's an individual shadow that we all have, but there's a collective shadow. And actually, collectively, our shadow currently involves human nature, chaos, uncertainty, love to some extent, joy, blah, 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 blah. All of these things are down there waiting to come up. And one by one, I think we need to work on chipping away at it and let it re-emerge. So Boris is a good example. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of sort of hinting towards this place to come. And I think that uh, if a lot of people aren't there, then they're going towards it. I'm um, uh, <laughs> having difficulties in life does tend to hasten this on a little bit and yeah, yeah. almost... All of us have had these difficulties, which do help for for absolute. And 
um, the experience that the, the Boris has had there, just, just for our easy example, would hopefully help him. You know, everybody just does deserve love, and they do to, to sort of um, do actually just uh, to, to sort of to, to deserve the enlightenment that you're speaking about as well, because you are talking about enlightenment, and it's like he deserves that as, as anybody else does, whatever they've done. Jesus and the, and the John John still Lennon in, in me does say that whatever anybody has done, they do deserve that chance of enlightenment too, and wherever that leads them, heaven, etc. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I'm so happy you said that because ultimately, what goes up must come down. That's what I always say, right? Like eventually, you can live in all these castles in the sky, hiding behind concepts and illusions and the ego, which just is a, a big unreal illusion. You can only take it so far before reality or the truth comes sweeping back in and you lose those illusions. And it's so true, like in my life and in loads of people, the lives of loads of people I've known, hitting rock bottom has been the best thing that ever happened because it's exactly like you said, it brings the truth back into your life. When you hit rock bottom, you never lose anything real. You just lose the illusions that you were trying to fight to keep in place before the shit hit the fan. And so collectively, let's let's say the worst case scenario, like very dramatic for comedic purposes, I guess. Worst case scenario, society collapses, everything just goes horribly wrong, and we basically it's like a big reset button. We go back to ground zero. When that happens in this hypothetical hypothetical example, we would all be asked to face our illusions. And when we do that, down there at rock bottom, the only thing we could do is just see the futility of them, let go and start building something real. And the realest truth is, like you said, that we're all worthy of love. The truth and love are basically the same thing. Like, truly, that's just how I've seen it. And so anything that keeps you from the truth keeps you from love. And that's why so many people are fighting for all these crazy views and opinions that they've got. They're scared to love themselves. They've been conditioned to believe that they don't, believe, that they don't deserve it. They're fueled or driven by shame and guilt and trauma, which is what keeps the ego in place in the first place. And social programming is saying that if you do love yourself, it's selfish. But ultimately, whether you fly sky high and see the truth, or you hit rock bottom and you see it, it's the end result. Like, you're worthy of love. And if you don't understand that, then you're going to constantly be running around on the hamster wheel of fighting for all these crazy opinions and judgments that are holding you back from the truth. So, yes, sir, you are correct. Um, so we've... Hey man, so I've been ranting and raving at you for 40 minutes already. I feel like this this episode should have been a few hours. Um, but how, how would you sum up what we've talked about so far? I suppose, if that's even possible, what what is the main lesson from this conversation? And if you have a website or something, can you let people know what it is so they can get in touch? No. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> much more interesting than how to get my stuff is is our, our little 40-minute uh, content. It's just wonderful. Um Art is, is the thing, and even Boris doing his Iliad um, is his art, and Mr. Trump's uh, sort of man the manipulation of the media in his way is his. And if you can see past your own ego and prejudices into the love that these people are trying to to share, because the riches and stuff are not about that. It's the, the person that they are, and that can be applied to everybody, because these people are only lightning rods, aren't they? Everyone can see people that they love and hate in them. And that's what yeah, they're yeah, for. Yeah, they're yeah. our jesters, you know. And um, what you've been taught, what we've been heading towards, is this third place without any smugness or arrogance, or we're better than that. It's just going. 
it's a place that you can see coming because this is unsustainable. And this is only, we're only living at 75% at best, aren't we? And we can, we can be up to 95. I'm never going to say 100 because I'm not an absolutist, but we can be definitely to 95 (laughs) British. (laughs) Um, So, you know, of of our capabilities, at least this century, let's see what happens because there is always, you know, I've been through terrible shit and I'm sure that you have too and our listeners. So it's like that is in the pocket and there's always things to do. And as long as you keep your head on, and yeah, great stuff can come out of um, the most difficult of uh, circumstances for sure. Mm, wow. So have you got a website or anything that mm. people... Oh yes, yes, lovely. If uh, people would like to um, hit hit the Google and uh, search Sean B.W. Parker, S-E-A-N-B.W. Parker, and get my books there on Amazon. Got uh, the nine books um, up there of cultural theory and stuff like we're talking to. And um, if they're into the musical bent, then go to Spotify and do the same thing. They can get one of my six or so albums. And if they're into news, they can come to X Twitter. And um, yeah, it's all under Sean B.W. Parker. I've got the same name everywhere. Right. Well, I'll, I'll share some of the links in the show notes. And a shout out to your music. I was watching it on YouTube. It was awesome. Like I, I, It was like a shoegazy kind of thing or something like that. But it was, I, I was super into that. So, Sean, thank you so much. This has been a good one. Appreciate your yeah. time. And uh, stay real out there, sir. Thank you. You too, Ollie. Brilliant stuff.